We're going to look at uh, John chapter 20 as we look at this specific gospel. Uh, if you caught it on Thursday, and then actually uh, we're going to start a series uh, called Keeping Easter after these uh, weeks of Lent, after the week of Easter. We're going to look at the long-term effect, the ripple effect of Easter and all of those passages, especially following uh, what the church has called the lectionary, uh, following that guide, we're going to be looking at John several different times. And so I wanted to begin by looking at John chapter 20, going from verse 1 to verse 10. But I want to, if we are uh, able to kind of grab onto a thought as we go, push pause in between the verses and do the little commentary or do the little thought in the pattern of that passage. But before we can do that, of course, let's ask the Holy Spirit to bless this time, to open our eyes, to open our ears. Let's pray. Father, you and you alone give us reason to celebrate today. This is not just another Sunday. This is not just another day. This is uh, acknowledgement of how you have defeated death. This is an acknowledgement of how you have given us hope. This is an acknowledgement that we can run to you with whatever it is in our lives, knowing that you are powerful, knowing that you are caring, knowing that you are merciful. God, as we read the story that was written down so many years ago, may it become fresh again. May it fall on fertile soil. May it fall on ears and hearts that are excited to hear it, that are looking for some sort of hope, that are looking for some sort of encouragement. God, may it fall as you desire. Would you bless this time? Would you make it holy? Would you make it special? In your incredible name we pray, amen. And so, verse 1 of John chapter 20, very early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2 says, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. A couple of things here to push pause on. Very likely, the one Jesus loved, the reference there, is the author himself, is the author John. We see this done several different times, that he refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. And very likely, he is one of the main contacts for Mary uh, especially as she comes and runs to him. But one question that I'd like you to consider is, who is they? As they, uh, as the, the references, they have taken the Lord. They, we don't know where they have put him. I wonder just whether Mary assumed that this is his enemies, that this is the ones who had crucified him in the first place, more than likely, maybe she's assuming the ones that furthered, that uh, maybe 
tried to make Jesus less uh, uh, popular around the area. Maybe she assumed and kind of assumed the logical that someone took Jesus' body in order to make him look bad, in order to do something not good with the body. She was ready to or had already started looking for it, and so she was trying to solve the problem on her own. She was really trying to play detective there. Obviously, they had looked a little bit. If they don't know where they have put the body, she had at least started processing or thinking it must be somewhere other than here. Hearing we don't know where they put him implies that she also involved someone else in the look. She involved someone else in this detective work and had sort of tried to understand what it is that had been taking place so far. She was trying to put the pieces together. My question is this, can you relate? Can you relate to Mary making assumptions? Can you relate to Mary trying to do the work on her own? Can you relate to Mary trying to be really, really logical Obviously, the first thing she jumps to is that someone took the body. The first thing she doesn't jump to is that Jesus Christ is risen. Remember, he told them that he was going to do this several times. And yet, even with all of those words ringing in her ears, her first assumption is the logical choice. Her first assumption is one plus one has to equal two. The body isn't there, so someone must have taken it. Can you relate to that logical line of thinking? Can you relate to jumping to a conclusion about what you have to do? Maybe you are thinking it is your work. It is the work of the people I can bring around me. Maybe you are thinking I have to figure this out on my own. Attributing God's work to someone else can be a simple mistake, but it can also cause us to miss something incredible. It can cause us to miss the opportunity that Christ is placing in our lives. Mary Magdalene has the benefit later of conversing with Jesus in the garden. He actually writes her wrong and shows who it is, And be assured for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we will have that chance, like her, to converse with him in heaven. But I wonder if the delay in Jesus' explanation could cause us to look at our own hearts and to see if we are missing something. To see if we are jumping to the own work that we can do. I wonder... If we do what Mary does and we pick the lowest hanging fruit as a way to understand the complexity of what God is doing. Verse 3 continues on. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think I made this uh, comment last maybe a couple of times ago when we did the Easter message, but this is also a little bit of a, hey, Peter, I'm faster than you. 
uh, as John is the one writing this, as John is the one trying to get to the tomb first. Verse 5, then he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. There's an interesting little thing here. He gets there first. He reminds the readers that he was the one running faster, but yet he admits that there was something holding him back from going in. I wonder if this is another missed opportunity kind of language. I wonder if he was scared of what he saw or maybe scared of what he didn't see. I wonder if he was hesitant because of fear. I wonder if he couldn't process what was happening. Was it unbelief or was it simple shock? Was there a reason for John the author to write that he outran him, but he did not go in? I wonder then if this could be a question, a challenge for us today. Why are you not going all in? When it comes to your faith walk, when it comes to following Christ, why are you standing on the edge of this incredible thing that God has done, but you're not fully committing? Take a moment to let the Holy Spirit tap you on the shoulder there to convict you of where you're not fully committing. Take a moment to answer honestly a question, are you holding back? And then to answer, what is holding me back? We can't answer for John in the past. We can't answer for the author who writes that he didn't go fully in. But if you allow the Spirit, if you and the Spirit do the work of digging deep into your heart enough, I'm sure you can find an answer for yourself. I'm sure you can hear the analogy of a life that is fully committed to the cause of Christ. I'm sure you can see the analogy that Christ is offering to completely lead you, not just here in church on Sunday, not just when you are reading your Bible, but completely during the moments at work, during the moments at school, complete leading by Christ. Are you holding back a portion of what you are meant to give financially? Are you holding back from having a conversation that you know he has called you to have? But whether you don't trust him, whether you don't trust yourself, whether you are scared, whether you are not sure what you're going to find in that conversation, something is holding you back. Are you stopping yourself from volunteering in the community even though you ride past that place every time and you have a burning in your heart? What is it that he has called you to fully commit on but you are standing on the outside like John not going in? Verse 6 continues, Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Balancing out the thought of someone standing on the outside, this is the one always with gumption, 
always the one that's ready to dive in. Remember, Peter's the one who jumped out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter's the one who grabbed the sword and cut off the soldier's ear. Peter dives right into the tomb. Maybe this is an opportunity to balance John out as we see an example of someone who acts first and thinks later. Keep in mind the encouragement, the previous encouragement is not meant to cause you to do something without thinking, to do something without asking, to do something without speaking and listening to God. The disclaimer of some of the previous examples, don't volunteer for a needed position just because you feel guilty. Don't give financially just because Gary said you should. Don't give because you feel guilty. I'm simply encouraging you to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And if he is calling you to dive in, then dive in. If he is asking you to follow, which he is, then follow. Balance John and Peter out somehow. He saw the strips of linen lying there in verse 6 and verse 7, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. This is Peter looking into the tomb. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And then finally in verse 8, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 9 is in parentheses in our NIV translation. It says, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In that little parentheses, there's something important that I don't think we can miss. Understand this. Your faith walk may take a while. Understand that this pilgrim's progress, this journey, is a roller coaster. Understand that you might not fully understand. Understand that there are times when your faith may be really, really small. Don't force your timeline on your faith level. Trust that God continues to work. Trust in what he is revealing to you. Don't fret over your timeline. These disciples still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They were looking in the tomb. And they still weren't piecing it all together. Take some comfort that this faith walk is full of times where you get it in times where you don't. The other side of that coin is that if you're not able to fret or worry about how much I understand in one time, if I am having to trust that God is working in my heart, you also cannot fuss and fret over someone else's timeline. You see, it's very easy for us, whether it's a child, whether it's a mentee, whether it's someone we work with, it's very easy for us to get frustrated as we explain 
the ways of Christian life, and they just don't seem to get it. It's very frustrating to us when we speak to someone who has had a difficult time in their life, who has been addicted to something, who has been struggling with something, and they just don't seem to get it. Take heart in the fact that it's not your timeline, that it's not up to you to make them understand. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal in his time what needs to be revealed. Here's what we can do. Introduce them to the empty tomb. Here's what we can do. Introduce them to Jesus and let God work in his time. Verse 10 ends with the disciples went back to where they were staying. This is always the hard part of our celebration times. This is always the hard part of the high points of the church calendar. We spend so much time prepping and preparing for Christmas. And then it comes and it's over. We spend so much time prepping and preparing for Easter. We put effort into Holy Week. We do service after service. We do introduction after introduction to the gospel. And then it's the next day. Easter break is over. The gathering of God's people, they go their separate ways. Going back to a quote-unquote regular schedule is always hard. The shepherds had to go back to the field during the Christmas story. The disciples now have to go back to where they were staying. You have to go back to work. You have to go back to school. You have to go back to a regular way of life. But the important thing is that you can go back different. You can go back with the experience of the empty grave. You can go back with the tool in your tool belt of being able to rejoice that Christ has defeated death. Now things can be different. Now things can be seen in a different way. If he can handle death, he can handle that hard conversation. If he can handle death, he can handle whatever it is that you're facing. When nothing, not even death, can take away your faith in Christ, you are able now to live knowing that the darkness of this world cannot overcome your Savior. You can read the news and still have hope. You can look around and still see that God is working. He doesn't keep his love from us. He makes absolutely sure that nothing can keep us from him. Go back. But go back different. Go back with that glimmer of hope. Go back with the knowledge that Christ has risen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Only you, God. Only you can love that deeply. Only you have the power to defeat death. Only you have the ability to give us life. 
God, speak to us again with your hope. Speak to us again with your love. Speak to us again with your mercy. We place our trust, we place our hope, we place our everything in Christ alone. In his holy name we pray. Amen.